Good evening. This is Cinema 60. How does it help my government get element X? This robot can do anything I program. You can see that I had it constructed exactly as Carl Nelson planned it. This man Nelson is interesting. Will you get on to the point? Most certainly. The giant Kong was Nelson's model. This famous scientist researched the legend, and he reconstructed the strongest creature on Earth. You stole it? Mm -hmm. I took his drawings, and my genius translated them into a robot Kong that can certainly do anything the original Kong would have done. That ego is showing again. Hi, Bart. Hi, Jenna. What's going on? Oh, nothing. <laughs> Just hanging. Guess who we have here today? A very special guest. And and not only, you know, normally when we have guests, it's like a one movie guest and they talk about their pick of the 60s. Well, this time we have a super special guest and he is going to do a super special pick episode. And that guest is Carlo Vanstapout. Hi, Carlo. Hiya. Hi, Carlo. What's up? <laughs> Carlo, you may recognize as one of my, uh, you know, co-partners in Back Row the greatest mm -hmm. movie website ever made, back-row.com. And he also is one of the kings of Crud Buddies, which is crudbuddies.club, the most amazing Discord server and movie screening, online screening, and threadless store, an Etsy store, <laughs> <laughs> that you've ever seen in your entire life. Amazing Crud Buddies. And also, uh, you know, Carlo is, is a man about town in Belgium, the entire country. And uh, he is one of the programmers for Japan Square and Off Screen. So if mm -hmm. you're ever in Brussels, right? That's where those happen. Um, off Screen is Brussels. Japan Square is in Ghent. There you go. Those are places that you can check out because he is programming amazing movies for those as well. So hi, Carlo. So tell yeah. us, tell us what about up? your your theme for this episode. Uh, yeah, you asked me to pick some kaiju movies. You you gave me the option of just like doing one or six. I was like, yeah, sure. I'm down to endlessly talk about kaiju movies. Like I'm always <laughs> feel like I'm pestering Dan. And when we do when we do a podcast on like endlessly on on kaiju movies, and now you gave me an excuse to just go on and on and make you guys subject you guys to kaiju movies also. <laughs> I like the list you sent us because it wasn't all Toho Godzilla stuff. No, yeah, exactly. That was definitely my intention. I wanted variation uh, in terms of kaiju movies. It can't just be all Godzilla because there's a lot more to kaiju movies than Godzilla. Uh, and even Gamera uh, beyond that. Yeah, there's some good variation in the 60s in terms of kaiju movies. I wanted some some more Western movies on it as well. But the, the monster movie boom in, in, in terms of the West kind of died down in the early 60s it's more of a 50s thing mm -hmm. um so it is just like six japanese kaiju movies with some co-productions in there at least but yeah and they're all showa era exactly yeah yeah but the showa era is a pretty expansive one it's from 1926 to 89 it's a lot to pick from in terms of movie making yeah the showa era is the classic godzilla the yeah. rubbery yeah, guy yeah. in a suit Although they never really got out of that too much with the kaiju movies, right? No, exactly. Like even in the Heisei period, which is the next one, it's still just 
people in suits. But the further you get, the, the more they use like computer graphics and everything. I feel like in this era, if you want rubber suits, people in rubber suits, you got to go to television. There's still like some Ultraman shows that use rubber suits and everything. But the movies, you, you look at a Shin Godzilla, a Shin Ultraman. Uh, that's not guys in rubber suits anymore. So yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I used to love this stuff as a kid, Creature Double mm. Feature. You know, I never watched a whole movie from beginning to end, okay. but I used to like try and keep track of who all the various monsters were. And yeah. I never knew, I mean, I was at an age where the Toho and Dai monsters were all the same. Like I didn't know there were different universes, different studios. Like, you know, it was just luck that I never saw Gamera fight Godzilla, <laughs> I thought, but it's different studios. Although those were the two main studios making the Kaiju movies in the 60s, right? Yeah, exactly. It's it's uh, Godzilla and Gamera are the big ones. Like uh, Gamera sort of is a Godzilla ripoff in a sense. So yeah, those are definitely the, the big rivals in terms of kaiju. Yeah. I'd love to hear you talk a little bit about what it was that got you into kaiju, Carlo, because, hmm. you know, as a kid for me, like I, you know, this is all on my radar. Like it was always playing on TV, especially Mothra. I've seen like so many different clips of different Mothra movies over the years. And, yeah. and like the song is stuck in my head forever. <laughs> and I, I, I never dislike these things. You know, I love puppets and I love the uh, monsters like this and, and creatures, but I never had like a click moment for the Godzilla type kaiju movies. And I, and it was kind of fun actually sitting down and watching all of these now and kind of getting mm -hmm. more of a sense of what it was. And I, I definitely mm -hmm. had a ton of friends growing up, like, you know, little kids who were like obsessed with Godzilla. And I don't know if that was to me, I was realizing maybe that's partially like the wrestling crossover. It was like a lot mm -hmm. of boys who loved <laughs> wrestling. Yeah, for sure. I but, can see that. You know, yeah. yeah. Like, so, so what got you into this stuff? Is this like nostalgia or is it later in life? It's definitely for me, a later in life thing. Because I'm not really sure if any kaiju movies were ever on TV in Belgium. Uh, I knew of the name and the concept Godzilla, but I'm pretty sure I never saw one until the the, the American movie from, I believe, 1998. Nice. <laughs> that was probably... A, I saw that too yeah, in theaters. I, yeah, I haven't seen it in a while, so I can't really comment on, on it. Um, but yeah, definitely a later in life thing. Actually, it's not that long ago even. I want to say like five or six years ago where I really got into kaiju movies. And and kind of like you, Jenna, I, I've always had an affinity for like monsters and puppets. And I mean, I grew up on like Sesame Street and, and the Muppets. This, that stuff is filled with puppets and monsters also. And yeah, I, I don't know. I just saw people probably logging it on Letterboxd. I was like, how have I never seen, you know, these movies seem like, classics you have to have seen if you're into high concept genre cinema which i very right. much am so you start looking into mothra you pick up one of the many godzilla movies because at first it can be kind of overwhelming when you see how many there are so yeah you pick one out and you start and you're like this is maybe they're not all the best or perfect like narrative movies at all but there's like a, i found like a comfort in them so I started watching him like one a day, slowly making my way through all of the Godzilla movies until I had seen them all and became a little burnt out on him. But I still look back on him fondly and it hasn't let go of me since I, I still am very fond of all of those movies. I've, in the meantime, I also watched all the Gamera movies and most of all uh, Ishiro Honda's movies and 
just anything I can find. And I made the transition to TV shows that are basically tiny kaiju movies per episode. So, yeah. So it's almost like a visual aesthetic sort of thing. Like what's keeping you coming sure. back? Like that's what I'm trying to like distill. I feel like mm -hmm. there's definitely something that like hooks people with about Godzilla uh, and kaiju. And is it just that it's like sort of silly and self-aware? Is that it? For sure. Yeah. Because the more silly and self-aware they get in general, the more I like them. I know a lot of people like their first exposure to kaiju movies has been through Mystery Science Theater. So sort of like an ironic way of looking at, especially the Gamera movies. I feel like those have been covered extensively on, uh, might be even all of them on Mystery Science Theater. Right. But again, that's not a thing that was ever around here. So many of those movies, people have this notion that they're bad, but I don't know. I, th I think I'm also just still very, and probably always will be very young at heart. What I look for in movies is just like high concept absurdity and... What's nice about the Godzilla movies is that they sort of create their own universe. There's not like a huge ongoing storyline or whatever, but you see like recurring monsters or location or actors that are playing different roles. And it's this strange universe that doesn't really hang together, but they're pretty consistent throughout. They all have that, you know, people in rubber suits, show era Japan vibe, which I very much enjoy. And there's also the aspect of they're all, they all kind of feel like wrestling matches a little bit in parts. I won't say I'm like a big wrestling guy, but I do remember as a child watching like WWF and everything and definitely understanding the appeal and being into that for like a little bit, but then growing out of it again. And there's just like these many aspects to it that keep me coming back to them. And even like re-watching them, I'm, I'm never really disappointed and like, oh, this for some reason I liked that more before and now I'm kind of seeing the flaws in it but it's it's exactly the flaws uh, of which there are many in those movies that endear me to them right well and you're also a japanese translator yeah. when did your love affair with japan start uh my love affair of japan probably started more when my obsession with like manga and anime or like first discovering those things started and that has to be like more than 20 years ago at this point i feel yeah at one point started studying the language and Again, it's 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 such a dense language coming at it as a person living in the Western world in Europe that I definitely had like points where I got burnt out on it, uh, but then just got back into it and eventually got my diploma and started translating as well. So it's been a long journey of uh, being into Japanese culture, pop culture, studying the language, kind of basically a student of life of Japan in general. Um, interested in, in in all the aspects because there's a lot to it really <laughs> are you going to have some insights in, into these movies that we uh, were about to talk about uh, maybe i don't know how much is obvious to people who haven't seen a lot of kaiju movies or it kind of depends on both you guys and i guess the listeners uh i might say some stuff that's kind of like yeah well everyone knows that but yeah i don't know i'll try to be as informative as i can um without being too obvious I want you to do that, please, because this is this is really this was my Kaiju 101 mm -hmm. this entire episode. I really I never sat down to watch any of these. And they're and they're so 60s, too. I mean, yeah. they're such like a staple of 60s cinema. And, and Bart and I have been afraid of tackling them alone. So that's why you're here. <laughs> you're going to guide us through these films. We did watch one already for our 1969. And yeah, I remember the worst Kaiju movie. 
or at least the worst of the the Toho Godzilla movies. Well, it was a clip show, and it so you know show, there yeah. wasn't really any. I, I felt just as like lost watching that <laughs> than as I did watching these ones. So let's yeah. get right into it. The the first movie and the most important is Mothra from 1961. It's directed by Ishiro Honda, who's the king of Japanese monster movies. He's the the inventor of Godzilla, directed the original. Um, I'm going to say everything I know about Kaiju. Yeah, go ahead. I'll correct if necessary or fill in. Because I don't know that much. But um, a majority of the Kaiju movies from the 60s and 70s, early 70s are, are directed by Ishiro Honda. And he you know, created a lot of these. Did he create the rubber-suited monster? No, no, no. Uh, the creator of the... the... All of the monsters, the rubber suits, and the special effects in general is uh, Eiji Tsuburaya, uh, who has his own company. Uh, he also invented Ultraman and Ultra Q, which is based on like more of a Twilight Zone approach to kaiju stuff. Uh, so Ishida Honda is definitely just the director of the non-monster stuff, essentially. Yeah. Okay. Well, we're covering three of his films in this episode, and Mothra is one of his most well-known, one of his best. But it's essentially a King Kong ripoff. Um, these sailors get stranded on an island. There's a typhoon, and it's a uh, an island where they've been testing nuclear weapons, but they survive. And they say it's because of these natives gave them some red stuff. So there's this group of scientists and uh, some uh, political types. They're both Japanese and... Uh, Roliskin? Roliskin. Roliskin, yeah. Duh, you guys know that country scientists and soldiers who are along on this trip and Roliska is kind of it's basically America but there's a little bit of Russia of the Soviet yeah. Union thrown in there it's uh you know a superpower and uh they're definitely portrayed as the bad guys in uh, in this movie but uh, they go back to Infant Island and they find two little beauties they're a foot tall they're Two foot tall twin fairies and the Roliskin guy who's there wants to bring them back to the mainland and uh, exploit them, make money off of them, make them an attraction at, you know, a freak show. The Japanese uh, contingent says, no, you can't do that. But he comes back and steals them. Basically, they are the priestesses of Mothra. And because they've been stolen, the natives on the island hatch Mothra, and it's Mothra's job to go and get the princesses back. So why did you choose this one, Carla? Why is this what we're mm. starting with? Um, I mean, Mothra is a very important movie in kaiju history for a bunch of reasons. It's It also felt like a symbolic movie for the 60s. Uh, you've got some, like the, the iconography of Mothra, like very colorful and, and psychedelic, like this big psychedelic moth almost. It's also, the thing with Mothra is that more than Godzilla, it caused the big kaiju boom. Like before Mothra, there were a couple more 
Ishiro Honda kaiju movies. He did, he did Rodan, he did Varan, um, a bunch of other ones, but they never really hit big in the way that Mothra did. Like Mothra was super popular. Uh, it was also very popular with uh, women. It was very intently created to appeal to women also, and they succeeded. And the whole thing was that more and more women were going to the theaters, like a, a large audience of people going to theaters were women. And so they kind of went for that and yeah, and, it, and it paid off. Mothra ended up appearing in 11 more movies. She even has her own trilogy in the 90s uh, called Rebirth of Mothra. Uh, and until this day, I feel like she is the, the second most known kaiju uh, after Godzilla. She has a banging song. Yeah. Yeah, yeah everybody knows Great the song. Mothra song. But what is it especially, what were they doing to appeal to women? Is it because Mothra, well, besides mm-hmm. being a, a female kaiju, yeah. um, I mean, she's more of a protector. She's not yeah, out yeah. to also. destroy things. Exactly. The way that yeah. the the big giant, you know, Godzilla and Rodan are, that that is definitely a part of it, and uh, it's also the first time that they show a kaiju in a movie that is not antagonistic. Uh, Mothra, like you say, is a protector of these two tiny women who were kidnapped to be exploited, but they have this like all powerful Mothra backing her, which is very like you know an em- em- empowering idea. And there's no wrestling scenes. No, exactly. That's also why it's a very different <laughs> a different kind of movie. We do get to see Tokyo Tower destroyed for the... Yeah, yeah. Well, I don't know if it's... Women the... love that part. <laughs> well, it is a phallic symbol, right? <laughs> I suppose, yeah. Exactly. I find it kind of funny that uh, when Matra, she goes in her cocoon on the Tokyo Tower, and the cocoon sort of looks like a peanut, doesn't it? Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so the the women playing the little fairies, the shobijin, that's like a their real life band of well performers, and they are called the Peanuts. <laughs> I don't yeah. know if that's just coincidence or they're fantastic. Yeah, <laughs> that was kind of funny. Yeah. I like the Peanuts so much more than the uh, the two who play the in the other movie. In, yeah. yeah, in the other movie. We yeah, yeah, to. definitely. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I loved Mothra, and maybe it's because it was, I didn't realize it was made to appeal to women, but it appealed to me. (laughs) So it got me. I mean, I loved it. I mean, there's, you know, there's some questionable, like, brown face in this movie. For sure, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And, uh, but the, these women who are singing, I was looking up the Mothra song, and apparently it's meant to be in Indonesian, but it's being, it's like Indonesian, but as like spoken through Japanese or something. So it's essentially gibberish, but mm-hmm. like you can kind of make out cause there's like translations of what the song is yeah. in Indonesian, yeah. um, which was kind of fun. But uh, yeah, no, I mean like I just, there's, there's so much fun, like magical beats to this, even though it's playing with that kind of King Kong, like, you know, noble native kind of stuff, which yeah. is, you know, it's silly, but just visually it's, it's really fun to, to watch all these like groups of people praying to Mothra and like, dancing around around mothra and mothra itself is is, is, she's so cute Mm -hmm. yeah (laughs) she's fuzzy she's pretty but the one thing i really didn't expect about seeing this movie so like as i had said i i've seen so many clips of mothra over the years because you turn on the tv and we'd be on and but for some reason i realized watching this one i'm pretty sure what i see continuously was mothra versus godzilla okay and not actually the original mothra because this was not as recognizable to me and then when i went on and like looked up clips i was like i know i've seen mothra and mm-hmm. i was like oh it's other mothras 
Um, because it usually I turned on the TV and it, it was, they're all just singing Martha and you're like, fuck, like I, I can't turn this off. But the thing that I really didn't expect about this movie is that it is like weirdly, um, a Jesus analogy. Yeah. <laughs> There's some religious stuff. In All there, of these sure. are actually. I it keeps coming back the whole rebirth thing. Yeah, 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 definitely. Mm-hmm. But it's not even like it's like like died for your sins kind of rebirth. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> why? That's, why that, is that? that? I don't know. That was kind of a thing with Ishida Honda. His ideal of like understanding and cooperation is achieved through religion, kind of uh, mm-hmm. way of thinking, uh, which is how we try to solve conflict in those movies. Yeah. He wasn't Christian, though, was he? Yeah, maybe not, but maybe he had some beliefs. I I mean, I find that a lot of anime and things are obsessed with Christian iconography, even when they're not, you know, it's it's clear that they're not trying to spread a Christian message. They just like the idea and they they think that they're being deep by by bringing in crucifixes and and rebirths and things like that. I mean, you know, and we, you know, doesn't the West do that with, the idea of Buddhism and Buddhism. Exactly. So it's sort of, it feels pretty, pretty natural in that way. I mean, the other stuff I really loved about this movie was just like, I loved New Kirk city. (laughs) Yeah. New Kirk city. All the Mm. Reliscans. I don't know. There's that analogy before. Dude, the, the like New Kirk city is basically New York city, but it has cow ranches very close by and it kind of looks more like San Francisco. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I really like that. And a um, Mexican style town is just a short drive away. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's it's like, like, yeah. It's like the U S condensed if everything was like next to each other in one place. <laughs> exactly. But, but everyone was also Russian. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I love in general when foreign movies have like an American character and they never actually look American. <laughs> like they always look like the weirdest looking white people you've ever seen in your life. Or you're like, I don't know where that person's from. Like, mm-hmm. you um, mean, Do you mean the, the antagonist in this movie? Uh, I forgot his name, but uh, the Reliskin guy who steals the Shobijin. Yeah, is he is he Clark Nelson? I think he's yeah. Nelson. Yeah, yeah, Nelson, exactly. Yeah. Played by Jerry Ito. I don't know. He reminded me of uh, of Herbert Lom, the you know the mm, antagonist yeah. in the in all the Pink Panther movies. Yeah, for sure, definitely. Well, his name is Jerry Ito, so he's he's not all Japanese or all. I I don't know his heritage really, but yeah. So that's probably why you can't really tell with him. He he also speaks fluent English at some points in the movie, uh, but whenever it's Japanese, it's a little bit. You know, uh, apparently he had just like started learning Japanese like six months ago. So for only six months of Japanese learning, it's pretty good. Oh, that, yeah, that's pretty interesting. This was the only one of the movies that I knew that I had actually seen okay. completely of the movies we watched. There are pieces of others um, that I recognized. Some of them from All Monsters Attack movie <laughs> yeah. that we watched that, mm-hmm. that we saw some clips from. But I mean, I think... A lot of my fascination with kaiju and anime and a lot of Japanese media is the bizarreness mm-hmm. and, and sort of trying to learn the the code in a way and understand what their cliche, what their tropes are. Mm-hmm. And yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I feel like some of the magic of Mothra was taken away for me this time because I was familiar with it and I knew all the beats and knew what was going to happen because, mm-hmm. you know, on our, on our first viewing, it's a it is a, a truly bizarre movie, but 
you know, at a certain point, you just, you know what Mothra is all about, you know what her story is. And, and so all of a sudden, you know, once you know that the movie seems far less bizarre, it, it feels just like, oh, yeah, this is pretty standard stuff. <laughs> I mean, Mothra is definitely a bit more on the standard side compared to what follows in the 60s. It's uh, maybe the last gasp of more or less serious kaiju movies uh, as they will just progress to be more silly, outlandish, absurd, and just downright psychotronic. Speaking of, let's let's talk about our next movie. Yeah, part of what I loved about the next movie that we watched, which is Frankenstein versus Baragon. Frankenstein Conquers the World, is it was completely unfamiliar to me, and it was so bizarre. <laughs> From the concept where you've got some Japanese uh, naval officers retrieving the heart of Frankenstein from Nazi Germany at the end of the war and bringing it back to Japan, to Hiroshima, and the heart sort of being located within this atomic explosion at the end of the war has given it the power it needs to regenerate and turn back into the Frankenstein monster. So we pick up with our heroes, a uh, doctor, he's a Caucasian, Nick Adams plays him. He is a research doctor in Hiroshima, and he's researching regeneration through atomic energy. Like that's his area of research. And there's a, another doctor who he's working with and also having a romance with or sort of a romance. And there are reports of this waif, this orphan child on the streets who's like stealing chickens and eating them. And, and people are finding bones of, you know, various animals that, that have been stolen. And they eventually realize that this waif is actually Frankenstein. They call him Frankenstein. They make no distinction between Frankenstein and Frankenstein's monster. Mm -hmm. And he's basically he's growing and they capture him and they lock him up, which is seems really cruel because he's totally harmless. This little kid, but they're trying to figure out what his deal is. They figure he's an orphan from Hiroshima, but nobody can track down who his family was. And they get some intel that that he may be Frankenstein monster. And the way to prove that uh, that he is, is they have to remove his arm and leg and see if they grow back. But uh, but our heroes are too nice to do something like that. But eventually, the, you know, his chains cut his, his hand off and it continues to live and he regenerates his hand. So the, eventually they prove that it's Frankenstein. He keeps growing and growing and he, he finally escapes and he he's now a giant monster and he runs off into the you know the wilderness because he doesn't like people and he just wants to be left alone and he doesn't want to harm anybody um, but there's another kaiju another monster attacking japan and uh, and frankenstein is getting blamed for these you know destroyed villages but it turns out it's uh it's baragon uh, a, a floppy-eared dinosaur creature and uh, you know eventually the way these things happen, uh, Frankenstein and Baragon meet up and they fight and Frankenstein proves himself an innocent. As bizarre as that sounds, 
I think I've made the movie sound a, a lot more straightforward than it actually <laughs> is <laughs> because it's weird. Yep. Yeah, I was going to say, Carlo, my, mm-hmm. my first question for you is what the hell? <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Uh, this is one of those movies. I just read a plot synopsis and I was like, I need to see this tonight because this sounds just utterly bonkers. That's why I suggested this movie. I feel like everyone should watch Frankenstein Conquers the World. Uh, just a wild concept. A movie you probably or maybe stumble on if you're looking at Ishiro Honda's filmography and uh, you're like, how is there a Frankenstein movie in there? Um, based on that novelty. And it's a pretty enjoyable movie also because that it doesn't always... Those things don't always mix. Like high concept cinema, you will often be like disappointed. There's there's a bunch of Ishiro Honda Kaiju movies that are just slogs to get through. But this is not one of them. We did watch one of those for this episode. I like all Although of I might be the only only person who feels that way about it. Okay, we'll find out. <laughs> well, this this one is so bizarre. And, and like, I also feel like there was a whole metaphor involved in this that I don't think was intentional. <laughs> But if Frankenstein is a Nazi experiment who was gifted to the Japanese, like, doesn't he represent evil <laughs> and cruelty? He's not an evil, though. He's a nice little guy, mm-hmm. sort of. I mean, you know, he's misunderstood uh, as Frankenstein is. But it's like it's like the opposite metaphor of Frankenstein's monster, unless they literally were just like, I don't know who would have Frankenstein's heart. I guess the Nazis <laughs> and like... But then they nuke the heart, right? So America's part of that evil mm-hmm. because that's part of what makes it grow. Mm-hmm. And like he's meant to be, he's re- meant to represent an immortal soldier. He's meant mm-hmm. to represent a soldier that will never die of World War II and like the worst of all of World War II. Yeah, I'm not entirely sure if they thought this movie through. <laughs> There's also very little documentation on this one, like opposed to most of the other, like every Godzilla and Gamera movie by now has gotten like a an even matra like a fancy blu-ray release with notes and interviews and everything you want to know about them but this movie remains kind of obscure and i don't know if i hope at one point they release a blu-ray and we get some explanations like what the thought process was behind all this shit because it's it's out there so i love that you really just chose this because you were like this is crazy and you need to see it (laughs) yeah i I love a crazy movie and this is one of them you were right you were right yeah and we watched the Japanese cut, mm. um, you know, in Japanese, and uh, it doesn't end with a, a a giant squid battle. Do you know anything about? Oh, what, does it not? Because that's that the version I saw. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so yeah, there's an, an, there's a story around that the the giant squid or not showing up at the end. Um, so uh, initially, they shot this ending with the, the squid fight tacked on for American audiences, because this is a co-production between Toho and American International Pictures. Uh, and apparently American audiences loved the giant squid fight in King Kong versus Godzilla. Uh, so they were asked to bring the squid back and Ishiro Hondo was like, okay, fine, if they like the squid, bring him back. <laughs> and then what ended up happening, so this is not supposed to be in the Japanese cut of the movie. Like you say, you watch one that doesn't have it. That's the Japanese cut, uh, the way it was shown in theaters. Uh, but then somehow that version did end up airing on TV. Uh, so Japanese audiences that saw the movie in the theater then saw it on TV and were like, their minds were blown. Like, what is this squid suddenly doing in this movie we've already seen? 
<laughs> so yeah, there's two versions. That's amazing. Can you talk about the whole U.S. co-production thing too? Because it seems yeah. like most of these movies were made with an American audience in mind. Uh, yeah, definitely. Like even Mothra was, uh, while they were working on Mothra, uh, Columbia bought the rights and then helped fund Mothra. And that's also why the final showdown happens in New Kirk City, which is supposed to be America. Because there was a, a thing in the contract, like it needs to have the final battle in America. <laughs> Uh, and same thing with Frankenstein Conquers the World, like I said, Toho and AIP. So this is a co-production with uh, Henry Saperstein. A couple of other productions uh, was Invasion of Astro Monster, which is in the Godzilla movies. Uh, and the sequel to this one, War of the Gar Gargantuas. Uh, th this whole thing also ended up resulting in the making of What's Up Tiger Lily, the Woody Allen thing. Also a result of this, because they, they apparently there was this Japanese movie called Key of Keys that they showed to American audiences, uh, but people were just laughing at it, apparently. And then Saperstein got the idea to have the movie be rewritten by a, a comedy guy, writer or whatever. And that whole process ended up in like the Tiger Lily movie. But yeah, it's, it's Henry Saperstein who's mostly uh, responsible for this movie being made. The mm. thing that made me laugh the loudest continuously in this movie was the white doctor who is just such an awful person. <laughs> like he, no, the, he was a nice guy. Oh, please. He was like, I don't, I want to save life and not destroy it. And then they're like, what do we do with this child? He's like, I don't know. Murder him. Like <laughs> he's constantly trying to like kill this kid. Like he watches him get hit by a car and he's like, get away from the window and like closes <laughs> the curtain. He's like such an asshole. Plus, he's also like his stupid jokes. He's trying to impress the other, the Japanese, like, uh, is she a doctor or a nurse mm -hmm. like that he works with? And he's like making all these terrible jokes and she has to like fake laugh at all of them. Or <laughs> he's like, oh, how do you make this fish? And she's like, well, I put it in the pot. He's like, no, first you scoop the fish into the pot. And she's like, ah. <laughs> that was great. It was contrasting Japanese sense of humor with yeah, American sense American of humor. That's an American sense of humor. That's dickhead sense yeah. of humor. <laughs> no, that, that's, that's dad joke. Yeah, right for there. sure. The doctor is always, he's like, you know, like, where's Frankenstein? He's like, chain him up, hit him with a chair, like, <laughs> cut off his limbs. The other guy was worse. That Like, all of these Ishiro Honda movies seem to boil down to, to two men and a woman mm -hmm. who are, so the, you know, the woman is sort of the heart and always has a connection with the monster. And then two other men do, are the, are the action guys and, and uh, have to chase down whatever, tell somebody about something. And, uh, and it was the other, it was not Nick Adams. It was the other guy who was, who kept saying, no, let's, let's just kill, you know, <laughs> I, as a scientist, I would love to be able to research Frankenstein more and, and, and find out more about this regeneration stuff. But, you know, if we got to kill him, fine. I mean, that's, that's cool. As long as I get an arm or something to study. But isn't it Nick Adams at the end who is like, I'm going to blind Frankenstein so I can save his heart in pieces of his flesh. And someone's like, that's even crueler than just murdering him. And he's like, well, he's going to die anyhow. I think that was the other guy. Yeah, was the, other guy. <laughs> <laughs> the other line that really got to me in this, and this might have just been like a subtitle thing, but there, there's one point where somebody says, he's not even human, he's man-made. And I was like, aren't all humans? <laughs> in a sense. <laughs> I have one thing I have to talk about in terms of kaiju movies that I just cannot go without mentioning to everyone who uh, is watching a kaiju movie. So 
Frankenstein Conquers the World started this weird trend in West Germany at the time. Um, this movie was called Frankenstein colon Terror with an Ape Face in West Germany. And what happened, I think, because of the popularity of this movie, every consequent uh, kaiju movie, Godzilla, Gamera, whatever, had Frankenstein in the title. Even though there was no Frankenstein monster, there was nothing even remotely related to Frankenstein in those movies. But there were always like, I don't know, this movie is called Frankenstein's Son and it's a Godzilla versus Megalon or something. <laughs> Just complete <laughs> bullshit. <laughs> so, yeah. That's amazing. That's, that's like that's like the the Italian equivalent is the Italian style. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. every single movie that came out of Italy, the American title was always like Italian style, like just because of uh, divorce Italian style. Mm -hmm. Oh, and Baragon, what's up with that little cutie? Yeah, Baragon is actually a link with the Godzilla movies because Baragon is a monster that shows up in the Godzilla movies, which places this movie in the Godzilla universe. So, yeah, mm. <laughs> they just needed an extra monster to, like, you know, have the wrestling match at the end. So, because right. <laughs> or originally this movie was going to be Frankenstein versus Godzilla, but that didn't happen for some reason. So they put in Baragon. Godzilla was unavailable. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> what, was he, what was he doing in 65? Probably another movie. Yeah. They lit a whole forest on fire for that final battle. It's very Frankenstein-esque, isn't it? You know, fire. It is. Yeah. It is. <laughs> makes you think <laughs> the next movie that you chose for us was Daimajin hmm. uh, 1966 one is not a honda movie this one is uh kimiyoshi yasuda mm -hmm. why did you choose this one i guess well i'll, I'll get into the plot real quick actually it, it's basically like this is actually set in like feudal japan there's a palace and they are all praying to the uh sort of uh forest god they call him god mm -hmm. um i don't know if he's like the only god he seems like a, a just a, a god, god of their mountain yeah, yeah. And that's Daimajin. They're definitely a spiritual palace. They have a priestess who performs these local customs to appease the god. And right when this big special ritual is happening, a coup is staged and they come in, this warlordy uh, guy, he backstabs his emperor and he kills them. And one of the more loyal samurai saves the two children and brings them into the forest and, and hides them. And uh, then they grow up. We sort of cut to 15 years later or something. And it's still this, like the original um, town and village has really been enslaved by this new warlord. And in the forest, we have our, our prince and princess who know that it is their destiny to come back and, and free everybody, but they're trying to figure out how to do it without all getting murdered when they show back up because it's just the three of them and they don't have any special, you know, skills. And only the one guy is a samurai. And so, yeah, I mean, we're sort of watching them try to infiltrate their old palace. And, and of course, everybody gets caught. They also get strung up on like crosses, basically. Mm -hmm. They get crucified. 
alive they're not murdered yet they're they're like want them the the warlord wants them to suffer and he wants the whole town to see that you know this is the king you've been praying for to come back and we're going to kill him and the princess starts to beg and beg for Daimajin to to wake up and come and save everybody it's a fun movie i mean it's like it it definitely there there's only in the last 15 minutes do we even get to see our kaiju mm-hmm. so so why did you choose this one uh, I chose Dai Majin because it's a very different kind of kaiju movie. It, it's actually next to a kaiju movie. It's a Jidaigeki, which is a period piece, and also a Chambara, which is essentially a samurai sword fighting movie. I'm not really a big samurai movie guy. Uh, I also feel like this isn't necessarily a movie about samurais or anything. Like I feel like the conflict is very different. Probably has to do with this movie was actually an, is is a Japanese adaptation of the German silent film The Golem, which is about uh, also about the giant statue that is that comes in to re- rescue the persecuted Jews in in Prague. You can also draw a lot of parallels between The Golem and Daimajin in in terms of how the main characters in Daimajin are persecuted and how their clan members who are left behind are basically being used as slaves by their new leaders, this antagonistic clan within the movie. And more than anything, I I chose this movie because most of the movies I I chose were maybe a bit more on the silly end, which is definitely a thing I enjoy. I think that kaiju movies in general tend to work better if they appeal to all ages, to the young at heart. Definitely, you can't leave that behind. But this is proof that the exception that a serious kaiju movie can also work if it's approached as if you put a bit more effort into the characters and the narrative and like to me this is a movie that works even without the daimajin yeah i agree i think that's a big reason why i like this one so much is there's no silliness at all in it it's you know this desperate story this warlord has enslaved the whole kingdom and uh things just get worse and worse and worse our heroes come to save the day and they get captured and then the prince comes to help and he gets captured and then it just seems hopeless but you're you're riveted the whole time which is not the case for a lot of these kaiju movies you're just waiting for the kaiju to show up Mm -hmm. but this movie i thought it really did a good job of of using that anticipation that you feel For all of these kaiju movies, you know, when, when's the when's the monster going to show up? When's the monster going to show up? And this one really like knew how to structure it so that things just got as bleak as they possibly could before the monster actually shows up mm. and saves the day. And uh, and I thought that was cool. I, yeah. I, I really liked how it was able to hold my attention without the monster. Yeah. And I think the monster is also it's scary. <laughs> like when it yeah. shows up, it's like legit menacing, you know. I was like, maybe it's also because like the the whole environment doesn't offer as much protection. Like usually it's in these cityscapes um, with the monster like peeking through the buildings. And now it's these like open fields, just this like one uh, settlement and the monster is just plowing through it like it's nothing. And and it's expression also and everything. And the, and the tone of the movie definitely adds to that. I, I forgot how much I like this movie because uh, like I said, I'm not definitely not necessarily a this type of period piece, samurai movie lover, but yeah, I, I remember being very surprised by this movie the first time I watched it and now rewatching it was like, I think I like this even better on the, on the second watch. So, yeah. Yeah, I do like samurai movies, so that helped also. Yeah. But uh, yeah, but it, I mean, this also goes to, you know, reinforce my statement before is that uh, the Japanese filmmakers just like the Christian iconography. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like they take this Jewish myth yep. uh, about the golem, you know, with no regard to, 
you know, the intentions of the original. Mm-hmm. I mean, keeping the story, but they, you know, they throw in, you know, these crucifixes. Yeah. Like that's the major part of the climax of this movie is, you know, having our, our two male heroes up on crosses waiting for their God to come. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I thought that was interesting. Just the mix of all this iconography, just, just to make a story, you know, whatever works. We, we don't care what it means or what it represents necessarily. We just yeah. like how it looks. And- well, this one feels more, much more pointedly, um, against the christian iconography though because i mean really that's the false god right that's the the warlord who is uh creating a a a miserable existence Mm -hmm. and i thought that this was actually very much calling back to that sort of uh you know the old school spirituality and and which which then is more a a better parallel for the the jewish myth in a way because you know it's like and, and that's part of what I really liked about this is the priestess and, and the sort of seeing her be like, you know, God's going to come and get you. And everyone's <laughs> like, come on, like, look at this, look at this loser. Like we killed everyone. We're going to kill you. Don't worry about it. And then when, you know, things start to actually happen and the fact that everything is so, so silent. I mean, even when they, these soldiers come to try and just destroy Daimajin, who's, you know, it basically looks like he's carved in the side of a mountain. He looks like this big ancient statue and these soldiers come from the warlord and they drive a stake through his head and they don't get too far into piercing his helmet when blood starts to pour from this rock mm-hmm. um which i guess is maybe that's the christian that's aspect. a christian thing but you know then then you know there's this question of like oh shit like something is here there is something happening and then like you know when lightning starts to strike and then finally this thing wakes up i mean he's absolutely brutal mm-hmm. <laughs> And that definitely, as you guys were saying, it's like the difference between what what is actually, I mean, it's really this like almost nice little feudal drama about kings and warlords. It's like you kind of get into the family drama of of what's really happening. And then suddenly like this creature comes in and just brutally crushes people under its feet and just Mm -hmm. destroys absolutely everything. And, And like people are trying to like reason with it and it just does not care it's killing villagers like it's indiscriminately killing everybody in a way that which is a theme of all these godzilla movies too actually i mean that's like a theme and and we see that uh, get called out in mothra even where the little women are like you know mothra is good but mothra doesn't know you know (laughs) it's it's gonna come and save us and if you're good or bad it doesn't matter like you're gonna you're gonna die if you're in its way and uh we feel that Uh, especially in this movie just because you get to see people being crushed (laughs) Mm -hmm. crushed to death and in a sort of like really brutal and and permanent way that you don't get so much in the monster movies yeah what really surprised me about this movie also is that it's only 80 minutes yeah it still manages (laughs) to tell this like fast-paced poignant story it's 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 really straightforward in its plotting like it doesn't feel slow ever to me and it also more than any of the most of the kaiju movies it never looks cheap in any points like the practical effects look great there's never this like uncanny valley kind of moment where you're like oh this looks a little dated now but uh yeah it really holds up that's great uh, it's is this the first Dae Kaiju movie or did Gamera come out before this one? Uh, yeah, there were a couple of Gameras before this, yeah. Did I mention that was 1966? Then the next one we move on to is also 1966, which is Ebira, Horror of the Deep.
And this one is directed by uh, Jun Fukuda, and I love this one. And I know Bart. This is the one Bart didn't like. But uh, no, this isn't the one I didn't like. Oh, really? I, yeah. Oh, it was... even though this hints at some James Bondy type stuff, I, I did <laughs> like this one. <laughs> this one was a bootleg Bond, and that's part of yeah. why I think I liked it. Yeah. Um, the the plot, real quick, is that a ship gets destroyed at sea, and the one of the brothers of the sailors him and his his mother are totally obsessed with the idea that the brother is still alive and the mother knows this because a psychic told her so and you know and, and they keep telling people like my brother's alive and they're like we found the wreckage like there's no way like you know everyone's dead and so the brother sees a newspaper that um he goes to the newspaper to ask for help they say like sorry dude like you know we're not going to just follow the word of a psychic and while he's there, he sees a flyer for a marathon dance competition, where if you win this dance competition, you win a yacht. So he shows up at the dance competition. Um, it's already been like three days in progress. And so you can't even enter it. But two guys that had been dancing for three days, you know, they give up and, and he they run into this brother. Ryota is the brother. That's his name. And they're like, look, man, he's like, I just need to like get on. I need a yacht. Like I need to see a yacht. I need to be on one. And they, and they kind of think he's just like wants to look at a ship because he's like kind of a country bumpkin. So they take him down to the harbor and they just get on a boat and um, they're just kind of like hanging out on the boat. They weren't like intending to steal it or anything, but uh, as they're on it, suddenly some guy pulls a gun on them and says, this is my boat what the heck are you guys doing on it? And they sort of have this like, whoa, whoa, we're just, you know, oh, this guy just wants to see a boat. Like, and uh, then he says, okay, fine. You can sleep on here tonight if that's all you guys are doing. But when they wake up the next morning, Ryota has stolen the boat and they're like halfway into the ocean and they're trying to sail towards where this wreck happened. And we find out rather quickly that the guy who we thought owned the boat actually was stealing the boat. And he's actually this master thief who had stolen like a million dollars in a briefcase and was hiding out. None of this matters, by the way, but I just love it. <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> I just love it. Uh, finally, we get to this island. I think it's called, what's it called? Like Terror Island or something. Yeah, I don't remember. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> um, but they end up on this island where there is this terrorist organization that it like they seem kind of like basically like evil government mm -hmm. like it's very james bond it's the mm -hmm. bad guys in james bond Big time. and they are you know creating weapons of mass destruction there and they've enslaved all of the locals and the thing that's keeping everybody on this island and, and of course uh ryota finds his brother there you know held captive so the psychic was right just pointing that out mm -hmm. And it turns out that um, these natives are, everyone's being held captive here because Ebira, who is a giant lobster kaiju, will just try and kill you if you go into the water. And the only thing that stops Ebira from killing you is this like yellow liquid that is made from specific plants on the island that the natives know how to process. And so the, the bad guys have these big warships where they spray this yellow liquid into the ocean that stops Ebira. I guess it like tastes bad. It looks like Yuzu. <laughs> <laughs> looks better. Uh, yeah. And um, that's kind of the plot. I mean, like, okay, like eventually when they're, they try to escape these natives, uh, you know, are, are being brought in as slave labor. And so some of them escape and they escape with Ryota and his buddies. 
And um, as they're sort of stumbling around the island, they end up running into Godzilla, who's like just asleep in a cave. I want Carla to explain to me why that happens because it seems this kind is a of WrestleMania random. movie. <laughs> You've got Godzilla, Abriel, Mothra, <laughs> right? And then there's Mothra, who everyone else in the in original Innocent Island, uh, which gets called out, is is praying to Mothra to save everybody on this like Death Island. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, and of course there's a battle royale. So Carlo, mm. Carlo, why did you choose this? Because <laughs> it's it's. Uh, one of my favorite Godzilla movies. It's 60s as hell. I thought you really liked this movie, Jenna. That's you were part right. of why I chose it. It's it's like maybe like my favorite duology between this and the one that comes next, which is Son of Godzilla, which is also directed by Jun Fukuda. So at one point, Ishiro Honda, even by the time he was making Mothra, he was extremely burnt out on making kaiju movies. He did not want to make kaiju movies anymore, but they still kept him shackled until this movie which signifies this first like change of the guard. Honda got replaced by Jun Fukuda. Uh, they also used a different composer, uh, Nomura Akira Ifukube. Special effects director was also uh, now Arikawa, uh, mentored by Eiji Tsuburaya. Yeah, just like everything about this movie is it's just, just a lot of fun to me. Like I enjoy the Godzilla movies that don't take place in the cityscapes, like even though that's where most of them take place. I enjoy the tropical setting. It's to me, it's more intimate, more adventurous. And it's this and Son of Godzilla that both have that. Even Son of Godzilla, it's it's mostly about like Godzilla seeing his awkward son grow up on an island with monsters. That's all there is to it. <laughs> it's all just lighter. And then you've got this colorful underground lab and, and the spy film elements. Like I'm, I'm not a James Bond guy at all. But I do enjoy the 60s spy film elements. So I don't know, maybe it's just like the James Bond characters I can deal with. I also like how this is really trying to capture youth culture mm-hmm. at the time, but it seemed really out of date. Like the, I mean, it's it seemed more like 50s kids. Like even yeah. the, they were wearing the the like James Dean jacket, mm-hmm. you know, just zipped you know they're they're you know fighting for their lives on this island but their jackets are all spotless and they're they're zipped up just the right amount Mm -hmm. just you know right at the bottom and uh yeah it seemed more like 50s teen culture than than 60s that might be just the general japanese thing like i've seen like japanese tv shows from the early 80s that feel like 1975 and everything Mm -hmm. it's like there's just like a little delay (laughs) there in terms of that stuff do you think it's out of touch filmmakers or just uh, the something that uh, I think in general it just takes a little longer for Western culture to en- entirely take over there because we're talking about things that are not Japanese culture, you know. This is all mm. like influenced by America, so I think that's the reason mostly. Well, I mean, like yeah. the the stuff I really loved about this is just the design, and this is so good and so pop sixties. Like it looks like there's an amazing lab that they're. Uh, you know, have a, it's a nuclear reactor and it looks like it's straight out of man from uncle or, or even star Trek. It's like very, like everything's primary colors. Mm-hmm. It looks like it was designed to be imposing looking and not like functional whatsoever, For sure, <laughs> which mm-hmm. is the best. Like yeah. I love stuff like that. Um, I also just love that this movie that has multiple Kaiju 
who are themselves like totally destructive superpowers but really what this movie comes down to is this basic bond plot of like a nuke's gonna go off unless Mm -hmm. we we like unlock the you know this one thing and and you know can we do it in time like that's like what you're racing against as like three different kaiju are fighting each other Mm -hmm. like nobody's that worried about the kaiju in a weird way yeah, that also helps in making this movie just like a less of a formulaic kaiju movie. It's a different kind of movie. The kaiju are just there for the ride, for the spy movie plot or whatever. And to dance to the like fake Beach Boys soundtrack. <laughs> exactly. This, like Beach Party Bingo soundtrack that happens continuously, which is also absolutely amazing. <laughs> for sure. And Godzilla and Abira get to play volleyball yeah. <laughs> with a giant rock for a little while. <laughs> so good. That's when the wrestling works for me is when it just ends up being like, yeah, we're playing volleyball. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> that's that's my favorite kind of wrestling when they're just playing volleyball. <laughs> and what's it? There's like a giant bird too. Is that the yeah. kaiju or that just a giant? No, bird? that's it's uh, apparently they just like repurposed a, a Rodan suit for that. So it's just a generic, I don't know, annoying bird showing up and. <laughs> So is there some continuity between the movies that like, do we know why Godzilla is there unconscious and why he needs to be electrocuted to be brought back to life? I'm trying to remember what the previous Godzilla movie is, but usually the continuity is very minimal. Like at the end of a Godzilla movie, usually Godzilla is taken out or he's put into like a giant iceberg or whatever. And the next movie, he might still be there and they... Or, or like in this one, he's stuck in a volcano or something somewhere and they have to do a Frankenstein thingamajig on him to get him back. And that's that's kind of the beauty of these movies. You can all watch them apart and still enjoy them. But if you want, you can do them in chronological order. And there are some points that sort of connect, but it doesn't matter too much. Yeah, Criterion put out that beautiful yeah. Blu-ray set of all the Godzilla movies. Yeah. And uh you know, it seems like it's encouraging people to watch them back to back. But yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, that's the way I did it first, uh, just all in order. But I, I have a friend who's like making his way through all the Godzilla movies, but he's just like picking at random, which is equally fine. You know, I really just want a guide to the the less kiddie mm-hmm. Godzilla movies, because when they become children's movies too much, that's that's when I start to lose interest. I think the next one we watch, King Kong Escapes. Wait. Oh, no, I'm sorry. You got more? I just want to say that that my my other favorite part of this movie, like, I feel like I got a way better sense of Godzilla as a personality from this movie. Hmm. Basically, at the end where we get Mothra is carrying everybody away in like a little basket, which is adorable. Mm hmm. And everyone's yelling at Godzilla because this nuke is going to go off because they couldn't get to the the trigger to turn it off. And everyone's like, save yourself, Godzilla. And like, he can't really hear them for because they're far away. And Godzilla does this like shrug where he looks like Tony <laughs> Soprano. <He's> like, <laughs> what are you and then just do? like, <laughs> yeah, it's like and jumps into the water. <laughs> and then the whole island blows up. Uh-huh. And uh, great film. No, that's just the thing. They start peppering into it more and more as Godzilla is becoming more of a more and more of a pop culture icon and a friend to children than this menace. They start making him more comical and adding those things in. Yeah, I just like how he can speak Japanese. He's a you know a, a giant atomic dinosaur who who understands Japanese, and all of these kaiju seem to understand human language and their people can can communicate pretty freely with them, mm-hmm. which is great. Yeah, there's even one. 
of the Godzilla movies. I don't remember which one, but there's an entire scene where I believe Mothra is talking to Godzilla, but it's just like gibberish and there's subtitles if, I, if I'm not mistaken. So <laughs> pretty good. That's great. So um, yeah, we, we continue the, uh, the James Bond kaiju theme with King Kong Escapes. is back to direct this one we actually we watched this one in english hmm. couldn't find a, a japanese yeah it's kind of hard to version. find the original japanese version yeah that's part of what wrecked this one a little bit for me okay. was that watching them in english you really like the, the cheesiness of these movies really comes to the fore yeah, yeah, yeah. but it's also you know it's a, it's another reworking of the king kong story this time king kong is literally in it yeah <laughs> and it's <laughs> the king kong suit that they've got it's fucked up in this movie it's is just... is crazy yeah it, it looks like king kong from the 30s movie that's got severe fire burns yeah, yeah. maybe yeah from from all the like pot smoking yeah yeah i believe that the, re the reason that kong looks so different is because this is basically a reworking of a cartoon a rankin bass cartoon king kong cartoon and i think it's supposed to resemble that one more that might be the reason hmm. he looks yeah. like the yeti from the rankin bass <laughs> that's true yeah and he, he does have really heavy lids which is uh, i guess that's why you think he looked high the whole time his right? eye his, his the whites <laughs> of his eyes are red yeah yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> yeah so at the beginning of the story, we've got uh, a bunch of people on a sub, and um, one of them is our Caucasian hero, uh, Mr. Nelson. I think all uh, all Americans are called Nelson in, in, the, it's true. in the Kaiju movies. Oh, yeah. Um, and he is uh, obsessed with the King Kong myth and has designed a robotic version of King Kong that he wants... Uh, you know, just because he's so impressed with King Kong and he thinks that uh, humanity could use a robotic version. But at the same time, Doctor Who, which is, you know, basically a, a Doctor No kind of ripoff villain character is... Uh... International Judas Doctor Who is what they call him, <laughs> which is hilarious. I mean, Doctor Who was a TV show at this point, so I don't know who they're fooling, but go on. <laughs> well, anyway, he has stolen Nelson's plan for this King Kong robot because he is uh, trying to harvest this radioactive material, Element X or something it's called, but uh, only a giant ape machine could possibly carve out the Earth enough to, to get at this stuff. So, um, so he builds this giant robot. We've got, so we've got a Kong and a robot Kong, and Doctor Who uses the robot Kong to start digging out this element, but as the robot gets closer and closer it starts to malfunction because this radioactive material is destroying his circuitry or something so doctor who decides that he needs to get the real kong who coincidentally the people on the sub have just had a run-in with and uh kong has fallen in love with the pretty blonde nurse on the sub kong has such a type <laughs> big time yeah you know they they are uh, they're threatened by kong they don't realize that he uh 
means no harm. Oh, well, he does mean harm to everybody except for the pretty blonde nurse. Um, so they, they barely manage to escape with their lives. But uh, Doctor Who, hearing that the real Kong is available, goes and kidnaps him and brings him to his mine and uses the real Kong to harvest this, uh, this radioactive material. And then all sorts of James Bond antics ensue after that. Why this one? That's a great question. Why King Kong escapes? <laughs> because King Kong is a, a very important character in the lore of Godzilla. And up until this day, there's a, there's a new Godzilla versus Kong. There's going to be another one. Those characters don't exist apart anymore. And even the original Godzilla is, in essence, to put it nicely, inspired by the original King Kong. Throughout history, you will see that Kong, King Kong is just a major player in the Godzilla movies. And this might be the weirdest one because they also lump in this, this robot version of King Kong, Mechanic Kong. Also looking at other movies like even Ebira, which we just talked about, which was originally going to be King Kong versus Ebira. To me, King Kong is still, like, maybe this is weird to say because I'm, like, very into these Japanese kaiju movies, but the original King Kong, to me, is the best kaiju movie. Nothing tops the original mm. King Kong. It's not just the greatest kaiju movie in terms of, like, uh, achievements and practical effects. It is, it is still un unrivaled for what they were able to visualize in the 30s. So I like that King Kong also became a thing in the Godzilla movies. They like they got the license for five years and they did two movies with King Kong. They tried to do more, but it didn't work out. So yeah, that's why I had to pick one of the movies. And I, I could have suggested King Kong versus Godzilla, but I went for the stupider one. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the design in this is, is amazing. I mean, like we've watched a couple of the Rankin-Bass movies for Cinema 60. Okay. And I always love how they look but they always are lacking in every other aspect. <laughs> mm -hmm. I mean, this one is, I, there was something to this one. I would say this was my least favorite probably of everything that we watched, but it was worth watching. You know, it wasn't like I hated yeah. it. Okay. There was so much stuff that like it could have done way more fun things with that it just drops yeah. the ball on like the mechanical Kong where we really only get him a couple of times mm -hmm. and he spends most of the time digging out rocks you know, like, <laughs> yeah or then, hanging off then, tokyo tower <laughs> right you know and it's like it's okay or even like the doctor who guy he's hilarious to me because he's like this over-the-top like mysterioso bad guy and the actor is great like you know yeah, like there's so uh, much potential there but like yeah. when push comes to shove that dude just whips out a gun and starts shooting people <laughs> <laughs> like he's not really that exciting yeah he's kind of a uh a legendary villainous character actor he would also play like one of the main villains in the original common writer show uh dr death or dr shinigami hideo amamoto right? hideo amamoto yeah yeah I, th I think like a major problem with king kong escapes is that uh for a very silly kaiju movie it's 104 minutes right that's a crime <laughs> this is the only one for me that it was a chore to get through the okay, length was yeah. part of it but just the silliness the bond aspects of course i wasn't too crazy okay. about but it just yeah, it there was nothing pushing it forward. Mm. I thought, uh, what's her name? The Madam X, mm. the woman who represents this country that's funding Doctor Who's yeah. uh, mining of this element, and then she has a, a turn of heart. But she she was just in a bond, an actual Bond movie before this. She oh, was okay. in You Only Live Twice. Mai Hama is the uh, actress's name, and I thought she had kind of an interesting arc, although yeah, it's yeah. kind of it's uh, underplayed. It's yeah, it's it does it too quickly, yeah. but 
she was like the only character I could latch on to at all because I wanted to know what her deal was and and what her responsibility to her country was and which country she represented that was responsible for all this evil stuff that was Doctor Who was doing. And so there was there's that one element there that I kind of liked. Yeah, but yeah, uh, yeah, the I rest was just kind of standard King Kong meets James Bond stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, James Bond, I wish had scenes where people got hypnotized by electric light the way that this movie does, because <laughs> that was amazing, actually. Like, there's all these elements of things that I like in this, mm-hmm. but I don't know if part of the problem, too, was, was besides the runtime, which I agree, like, should have been at least 90 minutes. Like... Yeah, there's stuff in there that you can <laughs> No question. Um, yeah, like, I mean, you know, these movies could be 60 minutes, like, let's yeah. be real, but like, the problem too, and maybe this is also just the English dub version, where they're overdubbing everybody because they clearly don't like the person's voice or they yeah. don't think it's like fun enough. So yeah. like the the woman, the blonde lady, Lieutenant Watson, like her voice actor killed me. I just thought she had the most annoying voice. Okay. And it was so clearly trying to be this like, you know, they're trying to like pump up this character to be something more interesting by overdubbing her with like a voice actor. And like, I don't know, it like really was off putting to me. I've never seen this one, the English dub. I have a copy of the, the original Japanese version, but I do remember the first time I saw Mothra, it was the English dub. And it was just like the most lifeless dub imaginable. So I, <laughs> I don't know if all of the kaiju movies at the time had those kind of dubs. And I definitely can see that being a downer watching this. But a lot of the actors were speaking English in in the movie. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, it was overdubbed because yeah, they still overdubbed a lot of them. you know the oh, lips yeah. matched a lot of the time. Yeah. You know, basically the white actors yeah, 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 were yeah, speaking yeah. English and the Japanese were speaking Japanese, but everything was dubbed hmm. in English. Um, so I thought that may be part of the reason why it was so hard to find a Japanese copy. There is a Blu-ray release of this movie, but it only has the English dub on it. So I don't know what's going on there. That it's so hard to do a proper release but yeah it's maybe like a rights thing with Rankin Bass or I think Rankin Bass just like doing that like I think they thought they were making a better movie by by dubbing it with different voices and stuff I like it because they they do I don't know they do stuff like this though it made me really think about too of of, you know in Cinema 6 do we talk a lot about watching this the original film versus the mystery science theater and, and a lot of the times especially in a, a lot of the soviet movies we've watched the the original is way better than mm-hmm, you would mm-hmm. come to expect if you only saw the mystery science theater but when you get these overdubbed voices it clears the name of mystery science theater to me it's like you know it's hard to watch some of these because the, okay, the dubs yeah. are so bad okay. and it's not even that the movie is so terrible but it's like you know you have to suspend your disbelief for the idea that like these guy in a rubber is clearly in a rubber suit is a monster then like mm-hmm. that's okay to do but if you have to suspend your disbelief for the fact that like this voice is coming out of that person too, <laughs> it's too much maybe. and it's not even like a translation thing because you yeah. know it's one thing if something yeah. is all just in like one language and you know that like okay like it's a dub or whatever and and but also i think that the the both the british and american overdubs and into english are like significantly worse than like the japanese and and Mm -hmm. i say that mostly coming from my anime background (laughs) yeah 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 like it's always like they care more in japan than they do in england and america yeah no definitely yeah rankin bass like involvement might have been a thing because they were almost uh involved with ebira also but the story there is that because there is such a change of the guards for Ebira with the different director, composer, and everything. Uh, Rankin Bass didn't like that. They wanted an Ishio Honda Kaiju movie, so they dropped out of that. 
but then there was a reconciliation after and that's how king kong escapes ended up getting made as like the final official king kong kaiju movie from japan using that license from archeo well rankin and bass had a strong japan connection because all of their like tv christmas specials were all animated in japan too but i wasn't that clear about you know whether they were working in japan themselves or Mm -hmm. probably outsourcing it yeah yeah but you see those specials and you see a lot of japanese names yeah yeah, yeah. the credits what i did appreciate about King Kong Escapes is that King Kong is such a sweetie pie, and which is actually the case for all the monsters in these movies. Like they really concentrate on the characterization of the monster way more than the characterization of the humans. <laughs> for sure. And they're all pretty lovable. Frankenstein is a sweetie pie and, you know, who doesn't love Mothra? But all of these you really and we'll find out Gamera is just as much of a sweetie pie. <laughs> that was sort of what dawned on me watching this movie is mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah, you're not watching these movies for the humans at all, except for Dimension. You know, who cares about the humans? We just, we want to get to know these monsters. And they do a pretty good job of it, showing you what each of these monsters is all about. Yeah, definitely. Think and feel. Definitely. I got to give a big shout out to Haruo Nakajima, who was the suit actor of Godzilla and during the entire Showa uh, era. So he's, he's also a big part of that, giving that character life. Well, I think actually setting it up like that, Bart, is what made the last movie both so enjoyable and slightly horrifying. Um, <laughs> because I was expecting everyone to be like a nice sweetie pie and Gamera versus Giron. came out in 1969 and was directed by Noriaki Yuasa is kind of it's like number one it's absolutely insane in the best possible way I had a blast this was my favorite one but it is also the most violent one <laughs> uh-huh. yeah. well Gamera movies in general are all about chopping limbs off and big stuff. time yeah I never seen a Gamera I don't you think I think this was it <laughs> oh my god I was not expecting this it's just so cartoon the... violence it's like itchy and scratchy movies <laughs> oh my god it's 100% itchy and scratchy though because it's like this would have traumatized me as a child <laughs> <laughs> at the same time it's the most kiddie of all these movies also, yeah. too like it's most kid focused of any of but them but that's the problem is that like man I was the type of kid who like if you threw out a lamp I would cry and that was even before Toy Story came out so like you know seeing these creatures get dismembered brutally uh, on screen would have been horrific for me but the plot real quick is uh, we have two young boys Akio and Tom <laughs> Tom is like yeah well he Tom's speaking Japanese all the, there's a lot of uh, white people speaking Japanese that don't seem terribly fluent but they don't seem like they're line reading but who knows they're fine yeah they're just they're too friends and they see a flying saucer land in a field and this is after the news is reporting that they're receiving like radio waves from i think like alpha centauri or something like there's you know there's something in in the uh you know that's happening and nobody's too sure what the the waves actually are but these two little boys see uh the spaceship land and of course they tell the akio's mom and she's like that's bullshit stop lying to me (laughs) and so they the next day they go with you know akio's uh, younger sister tomoko and they 
bike ride into the woods where they find the spaceship. They the two boys get on to the spaceship and they press a bunch of buttons thinking like, oh, look how cool this is. And then suddenly they are like being transported into space. And while they are in space, they meet up with Gamera. Gamera is basically Superman. Yeah. <laughs> Which I really, this was my introduction to Gamera, who, you know, is the big turtle kaiju. Gamera is in space and he like helps, he like follows their spaceship up until a point and the Gamera theme song plays, which was absolutely amazing, which is just Gamera. He is a friend of children. It's sung over and over and over again. Amazing. Amazing. So he follows them up to a point and then says like, you know, it like starts like yelling. And they're like, what's wrong, Gamera? Like, why aren't you following us? And, And he can't follow them for some reason. It's not fast enough. Yeah, I guess they're going too fast. And so they end up on this other planet where the water like runs backwards and there's just like absolutely insane looking mid-century futurism Mm -hmm. moon base. But though very funny is like they land on this planet and the door opens automatically and the kids are like, oh, I guess we don't need spacesuits. Like there is just like air here. And I was like, wouldn't it be funny if they just die? <laughs> Their hatches just <laughs> pop. <laughs> but anyhow. <laughs> but yeah, so like, you know, they show up and then there's this creature that they see who looks like a, just a giant butcher knife. He's like, if if like a lizard swallowed a butcher knife and its head became the knife and it's killing this other kaiju, Gaios? Gaios, yeah. From Gamera versus Ga- Gaios, which is also a movie. Which, and apparently Gauss is just like a breed of like kind of triangle head bird, creature, lizard. Dinosaur kind of thing, yeah. Yeah, because like there's multiple of them and the knife creature just like cuts his face off and there's like spurting blood. I mean, like it's different colored blood. (laughs) He literally chops them into little tiny pieces the way that like you would like a piece of clay. Flays him. And traumatized me. I like all of my notes are like I I literally say oh look at the cute faces on these monsters my next note is oh my god cuts off his own leg with a laser ah <laughs> well, I like when Guron tries to eat the the slices of yeah. uh, of of the bird and then yeah does it does a little stink face because he <laughs> oh, no, this doesn't taste any good I don't want to eat this. <laughs> And then uh, the little kids find they enter this like space station on the on the planet and they meet these two ladies named like Barbella, not not no relation to Barbarella and Flobella. And they look they're amazing. They're in these like silver orange, like alien space suits. I would like that would be like a an ideal Halloween Halloween costume costume. for me. (laughs) One hundred percent like new goals. And uh, they have little black capes. And they, they're like talking about like, oh, like we're on this planet and it's called Terra. And I love this idea that there's a 10th planet that we don't know about. And it's only because it's always directly behind us. <laughs> on the other side of the sun. Yeah. Yeah. They're like, yeah, no, we're just like always like just out of like, you just can't see us. Like we're there, but you just we're we're like right behind you guys behind the sun. That's why you've never you don't know about us. If only space travel was possible. <laughs> <laughs> if only if only like we had like I, I don't know how we found all the other planets uh <laughs> if they weren't behind us i guess so, you know so anyhow i i'm going on too long just because i really enjoyed it but basically like 
the, the of course these these alien ladies are are not terribly nice and and it turns out that they like to eat the brains of children <laughs> <laughs> and uh yeah yeah you know and then and then you know that the, they finally uh the kids realize they have to get off this planet and uh Gamera finally shows up and gets his ass handed to him by old Guron. But luckily resurrection is uh is important to all of these kaiju movies. So after Gamera gets his ass handed to him, he heals at the bottom of uh, the ocean and uh comes back to life. Right, with the power of prayer. Yeah. Children's tears. <laughs> <laughs> So, Carlo, explain yourself. Uh, yeah, that's that's uh, an introduction to Gamera. Like, not not all of the Gamera movies are as outlandish as, as this one. I will say, like, this is the only one that almost entirely takes place. Like, all of the action, all of what really matters, takes place on an alien planet, which is a part of why I like it so much. I just like looking at sets, miniatures, uh, weird set design, and everything. Uh, I love Gamera as a monster. Uh, Gamera, in 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 its essence, is a it's riding on the coattails of Godzilla. It is therefore kind of a ripoff, but I say that lovingly. I love ripoffs. Uh, Gamera is basically like the ultimate kaiju ripoff. It's also the one that captures that spirit of what makes a kaiju movie all ages. I say all ages in that it has no limitations. It's appealing to everyone, which is kind of impossible. This contrast of tones, you've got the gore, but it's also more of a children's movie. I really enjoy that stuff. Like, I'm a big Simpsons fan, but I'm also a huge Itchy and Scratchy fan. I have a Scratchy tattoo even. I love cartoon violence, just the absurdity of it all. Yeah, just the warped logic, this fever dream thing. So Gamera is always this violent? Uh, not Maybe not as... This might be the most violent, but the Gamera movies, definitely. And I chalk that up to the director and uh, Dai A just basically letting him do what he wants. Like, for example, in King Kong Escapes, they wanted to add more gore into that. But the effects director, Eiji Tsuburaya, was like, why would you put more gore in this? This is a children's movie. Why would you want to traumatize them? But then a couple of years later, or just like in, in Gamera in general, they would just give the people what they wanted. <laughs> They're like, kids were going nuts over violent monster fights on TV. And even if you look at the, the Ultraman shows in 66, 67, whatever... And even in the early 70s, those are violent as hell. It's just like constant kaiju decapitations and blood. And it's just the craziest shit you will see that's also kind of targeted at children. So that's fun for me. <laughs> I enjoy that stuff. <laughs> that's why. And Bart, you didn't like this one? No, I loved it. It was great. I was fairly familiar with Gamera because of the Mystery Science Theater. Mm -hmm episodes like they did a whole bunch they did i think five gamera yeah. movies and i didn't you know i never paid enough attention to know which was which but i knew what to expect from gamera so there weren't a whole lot of surprises as far as the amount of violence or the the weirdness just okay. the stuff that the completely inexplicable stuff my main problem with this one though is that it is very kid oriented I actually like the little sister a lot. Mm -hmm. She was pretty cool running around trying to get adults to believe her that her brother and friend or, you know, got whisked off to space in a, in a saucer. But yeah, otherwise, it's just a lot of like the kid. At, well, you know, Tom in particular kind of sucks. <laughs> Akio does a pretty good job, but it's still just a lot of them. It's just so caught up in kid fantasy and like, well, wouldn't it be cool if just a little too kitty focused for me, but I liked it. I, I thought it was good. It's fun. 
I finally figured out where that gif of Gamera on the pole on the pole going around and around and around <laughs> is from. I feel like that's like if I were to call Carlo a gif, it would be that. <laughs> I've definitely used that gif many times in my life before. Yeah. Uh, they, apparently they put that in because it was the Olympics at the time. <laughs> so all there is to it. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. I mean, I also love, I, I have to call out your letterbox review of this movie because it made me laugh so much about like the end of this movie is, is insane. I mean, there's so much craziness that happens that I just love how this ends with, I'm going to just going to read your review of it actually, Carla, to you. Um, you say my favorite part is at the end where the, where Akio tells the grownups quote, we should love earth and strive to make it free from wars and traffic accidents. <laughs> which is literally what he says in the movie. Mm -hmm. And then you write, and Gamera is in the background, just giving him an approving nod. Like he just witnessed a massive pile up on the interstate. <laughs> it's like fully what it looks like. There is context though. Please. So I found out later, like after this review. So apparently there were a lot of traffic accidents at the time involving children on account of like Japan, just being more and more industrialized. So this is, you you will see even if you look at manga and, and and anime and stuff of the time these are like common plot elements plot twists where a character will die in a traffic accident to the point that it becomes almost comedic that that keeps coming back so there is some context to that completely out of the blue thing but that's like you know coming at it from a westerner's point of view from our eyes that just seems so absurd like okay traffic accidents sure yeah i get it but weird thing to call out you kind of know exactly what it's going for but it just yeah it feels so completely random yeah yeah, yeah. that was your pet like thing that you're picking up on like okay sure like yes let's tell that to children after we watched like multiple creatures like rip like he rips like the wing off of that creature and and like you know kicks him out of the sky like Gamera gets ninja stars like yeah. into the fleshy parts of his face that then spew blood like we're watching a Sam Raimi movie. It's like, what the yeah, hell? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah apparently, so uh, Guidon's name comes from the French word guillotine. Uh... <laughs> so that's also like an indicator of what's about to come. <laughs> What, is, what Do you know anything about like why they were just like, they were like, what's scary, a knife? Okay. Uh, apparently they had a, a different design for the monster, but the people doing the, the kaiju designs and the Gamera movies were busy working on a different project. Uh, I think they just went for something simple to make and just a big knife. I suppose they have more like an intricate thought. Like if you look at the other kaijus and the Gamera movies, it's never just like, oh, here's just an object with arms and legs, <laughs> like with Giron. <laughs> right. Well, it's kind of a shark too. Shark color. Yeah, a little, yeah. I did like the uh, alien technology on that planet, though. I love those transporter pyramids where you yeah. have to transport from one to another to another. And yeah, and yeah I mean, the, the miniatures on that planet are amazing. Yeah. And how the water has to flow backwards for, uh, for <laughs> Giron to come up out of his hatch and protect the city from attacking Kaiju. That was really cool. Yeah, most of the stuff on the planet was pretty great. I mean, the colors alone. I love the miniatures in all of these. I mean, that's definitely mm -hmm. my favorite part uh, mm -hmm. for sure. It's like, it's it's hard to even call out because it's just like, that's why you're watching these movies. Yeah, absolutely. It's like yeah. For, for that as much as the kaiju the, uh, themselves. Yeah. And and so I, uh, in preparation for this podcast, I watched my uh, Arrow put this out on a big 
set like all of the Gamera movies, sort of like what criterion that for Godzilla. And I just got like a new TV, which is an OLED TV and watching that Blu-ray on the OLED for a movie that is like so painstakingly created to emphasize color and, and you know, to appeal to like a children's eyes or people who are into, you know, just watching pretty colors. Uh, it looked fucking incredible. Like being able to watch that movie, which is, you know, kind of like a mystery science theater joke of a movie in the best possible condition now. Uh, thanks to that arrow set is could you see the wires i was really impressed that you a lot of the wire work you couldn't see the wires. No, exactly yeah i can't really remember anything uh, in specific yeah well there's one moment where giron is clearly a puppet like a hand puppet okay <laughs> where like because he's just like like it's like clearly someone's hand just like uh, yeah okay down. just chopping <laughs> yeah but otherwise I, I i was also really impressed with it i i mean there is like this weird, like this is the uncanny valley that I love where like their eye, like Gamera's eyes, the way that they move, it's like you you can tell that it's a puppet, but like there is mm -hmm. something that's like weirdly expressive about these like deadpan like eye movements. I think that's really what made me laugh so much at the end was like, you know, no traffic accidents. And then like that cut to Gamera that's or is he saying. like, he kind of like looks like, like, you know, <laughs> check that one out, you know, like Ugh. it was so good. Well, that was all of the kaiju movies that you chose for us. And this was very exciting. I feel like beside that one time that you were in New York and we went to go see Pulgasari together. Oh, yeah. That was good. <laughs> which uh, was, ama was an amazing experience. This was the other, my other best kaiju experience was, was watching all of these movies that got me, even somebody who, I mean, I've seen the original Godzilla and I don't mm -hmm. hate any of these movies, but I never had the, the call, you know, the pull to, to watch all of them, the way that you were describing where, you know, like you just, like, yeah. you just want to keep watching them. But now I feel like I've wet my appetite in my feet, you know, like, and uh, I, I might actually go back and start watching some of these because they're really very fun. Yeah. There's some other really good ones. Like, I, I don't think you need to watch every, every one of them, but I think like kind of knowing you and what appeals to you aesthetically, like the early 60s movies, like you can follow up Mothra with Mothra versus Godzilla and then King Ghidorah and then Invasion of Astro Monster, which feels kind of like a trilogy where they introduce these alien characters who want to basically loan Godzilla from Earth and in return, they will give Earth the cure to cancer because they've got prob <laughs> they've got problems on their own planet. They've got like this King Ghidorah monster, and they want Godzilla to help them out fight King Ghidorah. And it's just it's more of the good stuff. <laughs> That's amazing. That's like the the day the Earth stood still made Godzilla. Yeah. Well, I loved having an expert on the show to talk about this stuff. Normally on Cin Cinema sixty, we you know tackle some subject we know nothing about, and we say, oh, what can we determine ourselves about this genre hmm. even though we have no expertise have never seen anything like it before and you know and and we we stumble through it we'll sometimes you know get to the heart of what a particular genre is about but uh this was great though having somebody who could actually explain what the hell it was that we were <laughs> seeing on the screen yeah i was happy Thanks. i could help and and just you know grateful and always happy to talk about kaiju movies so i hope it helps even more listeners work their way through the the jungle of what kaiju movies and it's 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 like i said it's an overwhelming thing like even for me at first it's always like how do i even get started on this and what are the good ones you know <laughs> which is a very subjective question in any case like to me the good ones are to some people 
the worst ones. Like I just said, like Son of Godzilla is one of my favorite ones. Most people hate that movie. So, you know, <laughs> just find out for yourself. It's always the best thing to do. Yeah, I was going to say, if you have any others that you want to shout out as a Carlo pick, uh, mm -hmm. you know, bonus points if they're from the 60s. But if you have others that weren't on this list that you want to recommend to people, now's mm -hmm. the time. Um, I, I think like Gamera versus Giron is the best Gamera movie from the Showa era. But if you like uh, seeing what came after the Showa era, in terms of Godzilla, I'm not a big fan of the like the the 80s, 90s era, the Heisei era of Godzilla movies. But they made a trilogy of Gamera movies in the 90s called the Gamera Heisei Trilogy. And this is like a proper trilogy, like movies that uh, follow up on each other. And they are some of the best kaiju movies ever made. Uh, and it's a mix of practical and computer effects. Uh, it's a bit more mature for sure, definitely. But yeah, I would say check those out if you want to see something beyond the, the Showa era. Showa era is still my favorite. But that doesn't mean that good movies stop being made after that in terms of kaiju. So, yeah, check that out. Cool. Awesome. And Carlo, can we give you another plug? Where can the folks find you on Letterbox and Cred Buddies? <laughs> <laughs> Just go to my Letterbox, letterbox.com slash psychopike. I have a little URL in my profile, a little link tree. Any other link that matters in terms of finding what I'm, what I'm all about, what I'm doing, you will find there. Just letterbox is fine psycho pike Bingo. great movie i still haven't seen <laughs> <laughs> well thank you so much carlo it was You're lovely welcome. having you on here and um i want to I, I feel like we should sing you out with like your own gamera song where we're like carlo friend of the kaiju but i didn't <laughs> i didn't prepare it <laughs> clearly <laughs> thanks carlo yeah thank you guys definitely I'm excited to finally be a, a part of Cinema 60. You've been listening to Cinema 60 with Bart DeLauro and Jenna Ipcar. The theme song is Io la conosceva bene by Piero Piccioni. The closing theme is Go Go Gorilla by The Ideals. Check out cinema60.com for new episodes and supplemental material. That's cinema60.com. And follow the show on Twitter and Facebook at Cinema 60 Podcast. Thanks for tuning in.